0: I'm black, you're white. Now what? What if I say the wrong thing?
1: You probably will, who doesn't?
0: But I'll do my best to listen. Maybe if we're humble enough to listen to each other. Maybe if we're brave enough to lean into those difficult conversations. We might, we could, come up with some answers, make some real progress, discover how much we have in common and appreciate our differences. Now you're talking.
1: I am David Connolly, communications consultant.
0: And I'm Chris Thurber, clinical psychologist.
1: And welcome to another episode of I'm Black, You're White, Now What?
0: Episode uh, 9, I think, right? That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: that's we're moving right along. I Maybe episode like 10, 10,
0: but it's feeling good. <laughs>
1: 9, 10 is still, it's still it's, a lot of great I episodes. I may have lost track of, of, of the
0: episode number, but I have not lost track of how much I've learned. We've had Absolutely. phenomenal guests. I hope anyone listening to this is going to go back and... Listen to any of the episodes they they may have missed. We have had uh, really an all star list of I mean from law enforcement, government, uh, professional directors of movements, uh, students. Mm-hmm. It's been fantastic.
1: I completely agree, and we've covered you know um, an awful lot from a lot of great and very interesting uh, you know perspectives and uh, you know last week uh, was no different uh, I really enjoyed, you know uh, the conversation uh, with uh, with both the ladies uh, Brianna and Michaela uh, we had a great conversation with them about some more melanin and uh, about uh, people of color and, uh, camps and and just you know what their movement is with regard to getting uh, more recognition as far as like the you know, representation is probably the yeah. better word uh, I mean, it, with people of color camps and stuff. And you had, uh, you know, quite an extensive uh, career with camps. And so I'm I'm wondering what your take was on, you know, uh, that interview.
0: Well, one of the things that I feel like I learned from Brianna and Michaela was that they're getting some traction speaking to black parents in ways mm-hmm. that white Camp owners and directors have not, in the past, mm-hmm. and despite some of those non-bipoc camp owners and directors having the best intentions to diversify their sort of camper population or you know the the client base, I guess, um, it's more complicated than just reaching out to either advertise or speak at live events in neighborhoods that are not simply white neighborhoods or Mm -hmm. uh, do something more than rely on word of mouth advertising there are different cultural traditions in different ethnic groups and of course i'm painting painting this with a very broad brush but to listen to brianna and michaela i was struck by their ability to communicate the Mm -hmm concerns that some of these uh, black or indigenous or other people of color parents would have about letting somebody else take care of their babies, as they put it, for a couple of weeks at an overnight camp. And, you know, it's a a big decision Mm -hmm. to, you know, whether it's a day camp or an overnight camp, let a whole bunch of other kind of surrogate caregivers influence the development of your child. And most people are really happy with how their kids develop at camp. Um, But it's, I think, short-sighted to think that the concerns of black parents are exactly the same as the concerns of white parents and Mm -hmm. that you would market this experience to them in the same way. I was, I also love their talking about how by forming this organization, S'more Melanin, they were able to suddenly, uh, I mean, with with great positive response, create an affinity group for Mm -hmm. uh, people of color in this industry, which historically is very white. And that's got to be, Quite empowering for for you know I would say for the whole industry I mean obviously it's empowering to any black camp owners and directors which you know probably a number you could count on one or two hands but um, Hmm. it's they somehow managed to meet each other and create this organization at just the right time
1: I think so and I one of the things I really liked was um, like their Uh, how they were talking about they're going to uh, have like a list of you know camps and things that parents can trust because it sounds like part of what they have to uh, convey to these parents is that you can trust folks to watch you know uh, after your child, and to have your child's back to make sure that the the children would be in what would be a racially safe space for them, because right. I think I said uh, on the episode, when I was coming up and going to camp, camp was always in some area that was not very uh, friendly mm-hmm. to people of color, you know, just the area the camp was in, not necessarily the the mm-hmm. camp personnel themselves. Sure. And so, uh, as a parent, I think you would want to know that those people were going to make sure that you know your child was taken care of psychologically and and everything else when they're in uh, what could potentially be a sort of hostile environment. So I really liked uh, that. I really liked the the part where they were going to uh, also talk with parents about how to talk with their Children about being at camp and all mm-hmm. the things that camp could offer But then also, you know, just how their participation in that should look. You yeah
0: know? And I yeah, thought that yeah,
1: That was pretty big too. I just I'm curious um, Because like I said, you've had uh, quite an extensive uh, You know experience with camps With uh, reaching out to Uh, To get more people of color in. Do you think that it's uh, like a thing where people are reluctant to do it because it seems like such a daunting task? Because a lot of what I hear uh, sounds like, well, I want to do it, but I'm not really sure like how to convey this or how to talk and and I'm always sensitive to that because I'm saying some of it is different but it's not necessarily a different language per se it's it's what would you want to know about the people who will be watching your child that would make you feel like it was safe to send your child to camp with them and especially if what you've had is a history of um, you know, either microaggressions or some other sort of, you know, uh, hostile, right, uh, you know, intentions toward you and and people who look like your children or whatever. And you know, especially when they're in a situation where they're going to be outnumbered. So, what would you want to know that would make that okay? It seems like yeah. that's where you would you would start as an organization, and 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 the type of thing you would put out to attract people you know to really realizing the benefits of that but it seems like people don't do it because they feel like it's I don't know too much to to wrap their minds around am I saying that right am I just I mean is
0: you you I think you are saying that? it right I think it applies to some I mean I, so yes I mean I I've been in some way shape or form working with camps for uh, almost 40 years and you mm-hmm. know on the payroll of one particular camp here in new hampshire for um 36 37 summers and when i started speaking at camp conferences a couple decades ago i just thought it was fantastic because it was a very receptive audience i am someone as you know who who likes um, I mean, i can I can be as geeky as the geekiest geek. Mm-hmm. and I, mm-hmm. I like statistics and I want to read the science. But I also really enjoy translating it in practical ways. Like reading an elegant piece of research is interesting. But if there aren't practical implications yet from that piece of research, I'm like, okay, but I have found the camping industry, know children's summer camps to be very pragmatic um, mm-hmm. and they are very focused on positive youth development and they are encouraged by some kind of research basis for practice however mm-hmm. um, and that, that gives them an appreciation of the complexity of w- what it is that they're doing um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, because human beings are complicated creatures and at some level you know kids have someone that protects them cares for them and likes to have fun it doesn't get any more complicated than that but um there are inevitable complexities in every child's development so i think one positive trend is that the whole industry is a more educated bunch now than they were say 50 years ago i think some of those camp directors and owners do like you're suggesting realize they are not equipped to do the complex work of recruiting a different demographic cohort than is tradition at their camp. That said, I think they um, would generally be open to someone saying, like, and hopefully this is something that Brianna and uh, Michaela are going to do, well look, when you're talking to any family, but certainly to an African American family and the parents want to know like okay did the kids get to shower every day or is it once a week or what um you got to also mention that um you know on the packing list are you know uh shower slippers or you know um, flip-flops because Mm -hmm. that's gonna speak to something that they would expect um Mm -hmm. and that was an example that you know Brianna and and Michaela used. And then there's also, but the really complicated part, which I don't, uh, I'm certainly not equipped to, because I'm not educated enough about this, but was one of the subtler points Brianna and Michaela made was, let's say that you recruit a good number of, for example, black children to be at your camp that has traditionally been white what now do you need to do before opening day with all of the white kids who are going to ask the black kid like why are you putting this product in your hair or why are you moisturizing your skin when none of us do after we take a shower why are you wearing those flip-flops or why and you know that's not that's not a hostile question at least in its intention but if mm-hmm. you're a black kid going to a mostly white camp or historically white camp, you just want to take a shower and like do your routine and right. then get to whatever the baseball game or bed or whatever it is. Like, not have to constantly be explaining is something that in you know your home culture doesn't need an explanation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and. That's complicated, right? Like, um, we had at the camp where I've worked for decades some kids from Brownsville, Texas, who were recent Mexican immigrants and brought to camp, uh, meaning paid for um, and sponsored by a white Camp Belknap alum um, mm-hmm. who went to work for. Um, Um, I'm going to forget which charitable organization, but then stayed on, uh, got his master's in education, um, and went down to volunteer maybe for AmeriCorps, and fell in love with, you know, uh, southern Texas, and saw the educational opportunity, created a school, created a summer camp, and then wanted to bring some of these uh, Mexican-American kids to Belknap. So you're going from you know, Brownsville, Texas to Wolfboro, New Hampshire there's a massive climate and demographic change but we encountered things as a staff as welcoming as we were that we did not anticipate. For example, none of these three kids knew how to swim because mm-hmm. there had not been an opportunity to learn how to swim mm-hmm. and yes Brownsville is near the ocean but that was not, you know, an opportunity that they had or something they were ever encouraged to do. And you certainly, you know, in southern Texas, don't go into random rivers uh, to, to, you know, to swim because of whatever the right. wildlife is in there. To con- and I'm the waterfront director at Belnapper, I was at the time, to, to convince these kids, and this was not a language barrier, I mean, they spoke mm-hmm. Spanish well, they spoke English well, And I don't speak any Spanish, but there was, I'm telling you, not a communication problem. It was something I definitely didn't anticipate. And I've taught a lot of non-swimmers how to swim, but that they just wouldn't want to go in the water. Mm -hmm. And I realized it wasn't just that, you know, to them, a body of water like this, even though Lake Winnipesaukee has, you know, like this is a giant... Lake 26 miles across probably has one snapping turtle. Um, like This is a very, very safe, clean lake uh, where you can see the bottom. But a white guy telling you it's fine to get in the water? you know. And I didn't take it personally, but I realized this is not about <laughs> being afraid of the water. And none of the stuff I learned as a Red Cross water safety instructor or any of the experience I had teaching swimming is actually worth anything at this moment and that's Mm -hmm. the kind of complicated thing that I think um, a lot of camp owners and directors they might not know about this specific example but they know that it's It's got to be more complicated than just like let's get some kids whose skin color is different
1: no doubt but I mean it's not gonna get worked on unless you work on it exactly Exactly. And, and, and so that's that's the thing. You, I think, you have to know that some of that is going to be, uh, to whatever degree, uncomfortable for lack yeah. of a better term. But most of it will not be. Uh, and what you'll have is an exchange of ideas, an increase in everybody's cultural IQ, um, and and just you know, like bridges being built. I think. Yes. And I think yeah. the only way that you're going to do that is to. Is to kind of be brave enough to do all the things you're talking about, where you're having conversations with those people coming to camp. You're having conversations with those people who uh, run the camp, and to whatever degree, having some conversations and some interactions, because there there are activities that you come up with that teach kids who know nothing about archery. How to do that or introduce them to a lot of different things that they never have experienced before so in that way principally speaking this would be the same kind of thing it would just be a matter of you coming up with activities to do it and I'm saying this and then I'm going to um, sort of segue into something broader but the principle is the same and and the broader thing is what on another episode uh miss bj walker was saying about how you will hire a diversity officer for the bank but that diversity officer is she didn't use this term this is a favorite term of mine is a paper dragon Mm -hmm. in that they have all of this you know title and and all of this but they have no real power to do anything you haven't empowered them to actually make any sort of change when it comes to diversity and inclusion. So I'm saying If you're going to start trying to bridge the gap, we're talking a bit piggybacking or going back and forth between camps and corporate and in the world. Uh, but if you're going to bring people together you have to then say, like, for instance, to me, the camping world would have to say, and I'm an outsider, I will admit that from the get go, but the camping world would have to say with some intention. And that's what I'm getting to. The intention would have to be to actually bring these people together and bridge the gap. Otherwise it's just lip service. If you are a bank and you say, Hey, I think I want to hire a diversity and inclusion person because diversity and inclusion is very, very important <laughs> to ABC Bank. But that person has no power to actually have you, as a corporation, live a diversity and inclusion like, you know, right. mentality or way of life. Then you're, what you're doing is performative, you know, and yeah. so. What I see a lot, and I've had some experiences where I've talked with people who said they wanted to do some things with regard to bringing more people of color to an organization of that or whatever shall remain nameless. Uh, But when I then got down to saying, okay, well, let's do this, there was always either they get ghosts, as in disappear and go into the witness protection program or (laughs) they 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 find a bunch of reasons why they should put that thing off some kind of way it's not really a priority you know and the guy told me one time um in fact i think it was my brother who told me the first thing is the decision to actually do it everything after that is about details so when you say okay well then as a as a camp or as a corporation or as a nation we want to bridge this gap and stamp this thing out this division and what all of this out you have to really decide you're going to do it so you have to then yeah say like i i i tell you brianna and michaela for instance if we were talking about them are doing that where they say this is something that we think is important so they start putting things in place to make that happen and I don't know whether the camps that they you know are affiliated with or deal with or doing what so I can't speak to that but what I am saying is if a camp or greater camping organization or whatever was to really be interested in doing it you would put some people in place who then had the power and resources to actually go out and do these things, not just come up with ideas that they can talk about at a meeting and then say, hey, well, good, we can check that off our list. We talked about it. We are really for diversity. But then 10 years later, your camp is the same as it was. And and you're not doing anything. And you have a thousand and one reasons why you cannot do it.
0: Right.
1: And have not addressed the one reason why you should be doing it, you know.
0: And yeah. So. Well, it's great. I mean, I hope that, you know, people who are watching and listening are now thinking, in the past, have I made a decision to diversify and enrich my sort of client base, or, uh, which is, again, great, but risks just turning into something performative, Mm -hmm. or have I done the other thing that you mentioned a few minutes ago, which is I've made a decision to get uncomfortable, because that's Mm -hmm. what it's that's what it's going to entail. And I also hope that people who are watching and listening are thinking, all right, well, so, you know, I've heard a couple of examples here that maybe if I'm a white audience member, I hadn't thought about how sort of showering and and, uh, you know, grooming practices might be different for someone who is black as opposed to white. And they also mentioned something about, you know, familiarity with the climate or the water. Like, the list of unfamiliar things is potentially infinite. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, now you're, you know, you you may be right, but don't give up because of that. Because we're not asking you to memorize some sort of list or know everything there is to know about... Uh, somebody's ethnic or cultural or racial background, if you plan on recruiting someone that's a member of that group, the training I feel that staff need, and you and I should do a a workshop at the next ACA conference on this is about, and we say it in the introduction, some people might even feel like it's starting to be overused phrase, but who cares, leaning into that discomfort and saying, Mm -hmm. look, I I don't know exactly what's going to come up in now my sort of a very um, heterogeneous group of campers I don't know when someone's gonna be offended I don't know when someone's gonna ask a question which is a great question but the other person doesn't want to answer but what I am confident of as a you know 17 18 19 20 21 year old counselor cabin leader is I've had practice and training Guiding these discussions right Mm -hmm. and saying great perfect opportunity and you know facilitating that and as you pointed out a minute ago Making it a built-in intentional part of the program in the same way like if like you said if you want to teach you know Beginning archers or if you're gonna have an archery program You better You know be ready for some kids to come with their own equipment and they've been shooting with their league Mm -hmm. for years and some kids who've never picked up a bow Um, so If you're a good teacher you're ready for the gamut if you're not then you know your ship is sunk kind of from the beginning but it's not about knowing everything there is to know about the other culture but when we're working with young people it's about the adults setting a good example of you know compassion and interest and Mm -hmm. being able to uh, live with that discomfort and know that as you've said many times you're gonna come out the other end as friends. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: And I think as long as you establish that level of trust, but like I said, the intention, in another episode we were talking, uh, we were talking with Jacob and Dacia. Dacia's working uh, at the, the camp he's working at. They're, yeah. they're training them on how to deal with, yeah. uh, like changing the thinking as he was saying from, uh, you know, like a toxic masculinity standpoint how to you know deal with uh, you know different gender identities and how people are seeing themselves well so I'm saying but there that camp is evidently doing that with some intention mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: you know uh, uh, yeah with, that's um, Belknap that's, some that's intentionality. Same, yeah. 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 yeah
1: okay but, so that's what I'm saying I'm saying so in the same way that you make the decision to do that that's the same way you make the decision to not be performative about exactly race relations you you right. just have to say okay well then, how do we get our at least to where our staff is up to speed? You're, not, you're going to have you're going to have to take the lead on educating the the young people to yeah. to get there too. But if you don't start doing that as an organization, then you know there's, you're going to run into you're going to always run into some reasons why not.
0: Exactly. So, yeah. There yeah, was a, yeah. yeah. I went to a conference um, with a couple of my colleagues last year um, that was on gender and sexuality and medicine and mental health, and one of the presenters asked the audience, and this is psychologists and psychiatrists and physicians and nurses and educators, other interested people, but probably 450, 500 people in the audience. And the presenter said, um, they were talking about uh, making people of uh, different sexual orientations or different gender identities feel welcome in your clinic, office, hospital, whatever. Um, and she said, she asked the audience, how many of you would say that somewhere in your waiting room, or maybe it's on your website, maybe both places, you've got, for example, uh, the rainbow flag that would indicate uh, this is... a." Uh, this is a medical practice or a mental health practice or an office or person who is um, not prejudiced against people who are gay or bisexual. And there were probably, you know, 75% of the people raised their hand, you know, and thought, oh, that, you know, that's pretty good, like, just a little signal that this is not a place where you're going to be upbraided for being a non-heterosexual person. And then she said, and how many of you in an intake interview, whatever the person comes in for, would ask, uh, how do you define your gender, your sexuality, your sexual orientation, and other you know, similar type questions? And I was like, uh, maybe a little bit, like, right? Maybe 15% of the hands went up. And that's the gap. That you're talking about between performative and, you know, mm-hmm. what do we want to call it? Uh,
1: action, you know. Like yeah, where in, you actually, yeah, intentional, intentional
0: oh. mm-hmm. action, and you know, it's, you can you can maybe feel good at a superficial level that you've got the window dressing of mm-hmm. someone who is inclusive. Or you can you can get in there and actually, actually be interested, you know. And it's not. But you gotta you
1: gotta be you gotta be brave, you know. You you gotta be yeah. brave and um and that you and I, you know, we kind of talk about that. And we're trying to increase uh, our bravery, you know. I'm not as brave with, as I thought. I've learned that. With, <laughs> with this show, and and I mean, speaking it, we should talk about that. We just be yeah. brave and talk about it. We um uh, so the other day when we did the um we did the episode with uh, Montega, Montega, and uh, we were talking about uh, him and the great work he's doing organizing uh, the different movements and and being you know uh, out here on the front lines with some of the stuff. And I was asking him, I asked the question about when he's Organizing protests and when the protests are going on. Why is uh, violence and looting necessary, or is it? And and that kind of thing. And he was very gracious with his answer. And uh, and we had a nice discussion after about it after the question. But then after that, you made a statement where you said it's uh, and and some of this will be paraphrasing because I'm over fifty and my memory is what it is. But uh, (laughs) you said. uh, this is why it's great to have both of us on here because David can ask uh, those questions like that and I can't. Yeah. And that that kind of, uh, you know, I mean, maybe this is a little dramatic, but that kind of broke my heart because I was like, kind of what, you know, we, we talk about and what we envision um, even this show to do is to, is to let people know that you should be able to ask that yeah. question because you genuinely want to know it. Not ask that question like you're trying to put somebody like Montega or anybody who's who's protesting something you're trying to put them down. But there's a lot of senseless rhetoric out here. There's a lot of uh, narrative shifting where you're taking things like people protesting the the death of unarmed, Black people uh, at the hands of, of some bad police, not all police, but it's being shifted to say all police versus all black people. <laughs> yeah. All black people are looting and killing and doing this and it's unrest. And if we don't do something, if you don't back the police, then you're for anarchy and all this kind of mess is out here. And it, that kind of thing can be confusing and and a, and very divisive. So if you have that question genuinely on your heart and you have somebody who can answer that question you should be able to and this is you know maybe my rose-colored glasses i'm wearing them tonight but you should be able to say hey listen i want to know the answer to this and i don't mean any offense i genuinely genuinely want to know is this a part of your strategy for change and if it is Why? Because that scares me or turns me off when it comes to supporting you because I have a difficult time supporting violence. I mean, honestly, if I'm talking to a police officer in one way or the other, I may have even asked uh, this to Detective Leggett, but I want to say, hey, listen, I know there are a lot of police that are doing great job like Detective Leggett and some other ones that I know that are you know close to me and and to my heart but i know that in every situation there are some people who are not trying to uphold the highest standards of that thing those people should be called out without me being able to say without me being misunderstood i should say as saying that also my people who i know are doing a great job are in the same boat as these people that you know but i should be able to ask that question without fear of I don't know what you know what I mean and yeah. and and so you know I, I just think that we ought to be brave enough to do that I, what are you your thoughts I'm gonna shut up you say what you think.
0: well I have a couple of thoughts I mean one is I loved the way that you asked Montega and people should go back and listen to that episode and know when you introduced him that the two of you have known each other since college. Did he also go to Lincoln? He did. He did. Okay, mm-hmm. so you're in college together, um, and so there's a there's a long-standing, solid basis of friendship that I wouldn't presume, you know, to have because I just mm-hmm. met him. And so part of it was I envied the way you were able to ask the question because you were kind of chiding him, and we're like. All right, mm-hmm. come on now. Just why can't <laughs> right, y'all yeah. just protest without burning tires? You know, and, right, and, right, you know, right. And I think that if I if I were to ask the question, and the person wasn't my close friend, if I, you know, adopted that sort of tone, it could be misperceived as mockery. Absolutely. So you know, I'll set aside that, and really, you know, to your point, and this is. Even more substantive. Why didn't I ask that question? Because I have the same question. It's a question you and I have talked Mm -hmm. about a bunch of times before, and you know, any any person would give um, you know perhaps a different or every person would give a different answer. My answer is that I'm still too afraid of an angry reaction Mm -hmm. for not knowing, like. Mm -hmm. That I could have asked it very politely. I could have said, you know, Mr. Simmons or Montega. um, I know a question that is uh, asked by some journalists, by some people in the street, is if this is an important movement and people are exercising their constitutional right um, to, you know, assemble and to voice their opinions, which... Mm -hmm we can all agree is a you know or most people will stand behind why contaminate that message and make it confusing to people who are watching the nightly news that there's looting and burning i'm i'm still worried not particularly about montega because he's such a even tempered person I mean, I think you'd have to have so much equanimity or a plum to do what he does and be a professional mm-hmm. movement organizer. Um, he obviously doesn't have a short fuse. But I'm worried as a white person, if I ask that question, that the response I'm going to get from a black person is going to be, you've got to be kidding. Like, mm-hmm. where do you get off even asking that question? And you know that's like i don't you and i have been friends for so long that i won't, wouldn't worry about asking you or having that reaction from you and i don't mean that i'm afraid of strong reactions i probably wouldn't be a psychologist if i were fearful of strong emotions and happening you know all the time mm-hmm. in my office but but i'm worried uh that i will feel ignorant and that people will personally be mad at me for not knowing the answer. Now, this happens to be a question where I feel like I did know the answer. It was like, wow, you got to separate these two things. I mean, there, there may be people who are burning things or breaking windows and looting shops. That's not the protest. Um, mm-hmm. But there will be people who take advantage of the fact that there's a lot of action in the street. They will join that action. They couldn't tell you what's being protested or maybe it's not a protest. It's the, you know, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. But just the fact that there's Mm -hmm. a lot going on gets them fired up and they're going to take the opportunity to smash a window and, you know, grab a TV. So I feel like that one, you know, I can disentangle. But I think, and again, I'm not speaking like for anyone else except myself, that I'm worried about being labeled ignorant Mm -hmm. and it's I mean that's a you know what and it a little bit speaks to obviously like my own lack of humility in this area or my own arrogance because I mean everyone I think likes to think of themselves as smart or most people do at least in certain domains and it's kind of like you know Thurber you get a freaking PhD in psychology, like, you, you actually have a graduate degree in, I don't know what, understanding human thought and behavior. If you don't know the answer to this one, like, was that like a, you know, fake degree or someone else get that for you? know, like, like that I'm just like <laughs> yeah, yeah. a poser, you know, and not really knowledgeable about these things. Because to some people, um, it's so obvious that, you know, so, I mean, that's – we should talk about – I want to hear your response to that. And then we should talk about this the other issue that you raised, which is the distortion of narrative. But, Absolutely, um, yeah. But the um, the courage for oh, me is – got to muster up the courage to, like, first of all, there's a lot that I don't know. So even if somebody's mm-hmm. response was angrily saying how surprised they are that I don't know, I should be ready to be like, Yeah. And, and it's hard for me even to ask a question because sometimes I'm going to get this kind of a response, but like, okay, I'm, I'm ready for it. You know, I mean, sometimes I try to train my dog and, you know, he nips my hand. Like Mm. that's a terrible comparison. I'm just trying to say you can be well-intentioned and think, you know, what the approach is, but get a surprising uh, response. But unless, unless you're ready for something that is gonna make you uncomfortable. I don't know. It's just much easier to say like, "Oh yeah, lean into the discomfort," than actually being uncomfortable.
1: Right. Well, I mean, you know, that's that's the that's the real medicine. You know, that's what leaning into the discomfort yeah. is. Uh, the the other thing, uh, two things. The first, go back a little bit to how I asked the question to Montague. The reason I asked it like that is because I knew that I was asking it for those people who would not necessarily know the answer yeah. or have an idea of what his answer might be. Um, Montega knows me. So he knows that I would know the answer to mm-hmm. the question, or at least have an answer that almost sounded like what he was going to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so since he knows that, I asked it, in, in that way, so he would know that I was asking for people who would not know the answer. Right,
0: yeah.
1: So that's the reason that it, it got asked that way. I would not expect you to ask the question that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I would expect you to ask it pretty much like you said it right then. And I yeah. would think that any intelligent individual may answer you in the way that or in the spirit that Montega Mm -hmm. answered you because I think, and I'm always the one saying this, I think you need to set ground rules for certain discussions. And I think if you're going to have a discussion that within that discussion is the notion of leaning into a difficult conversation, that means you have some idea that this is going to be difficult going in. And so if you go into that, you say, Hey, listen, I want to talk to you about this and I'm talking to you about it because I don't understand it. And I'm just going to tell you uh, I'm trying to gain a greater understanding of what it is you're going through. Mm -hmm. So the questions I'm asking, I'm going to be asking from what I understand. And I think once you lay those ground rules out. Anybody who then comes back at you and says, why don't you understand this? See, I told you from the beginning I didn't understand. I'm asking this from a place of ignorance, and I need to know what that is. And I think sometimes it's about being vulnerable enough to do that. And I have to do that sometimes even with my kids. I have to tell them, listen, this is not me, your father, telling you what to say. This is not me, your father. Asking you in a way that says I already know the answer and I want you to tell me whether it's right or wrong or, you know, this is a pass or fail question. I'm asking you because I flat don't know and I want to know and I feel like you are the best person to tell me.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so here's what I'm asking. And a lot of times when I do that, I get to have some great discussions with them where I do actually, as I intend, when I ask the question, learn something. Mm -hmm. And I think if you let the person know that. I think what happens too, though, and, and I'll say this is a lot of times we go into these conversations with people from different races and cultures and backgrounds and what have you, and we go into it thinking about them. And this may sound uncomfortable uh, when I say it, but you think about it. You, in spite of yourself, not you, Chris, but we as people, you meaning people, we think about that person in terms of whatever the stereotype is. Yeah. So you feel like if you're talking to me about looting, that I'm going to respond to you like a looter mm-hmm. and a person mm-hmm. who's burning mm-hmm. down a restaurant or whatever and so that person will answer you like what you know <laughs> because you know that's 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 what they're about they're about it. and it's, it may not i for me to say hey listen i am upset about the killing of unarmed black men in the streets of america by those sworn to protect and serve i think that that's a very bad thing I can say that to you in a very calm and academic tone and still be very, very upset about it, which I am. I don't have to yell and scream and shout in order to do that. In fact, if I'm trying to convey what I'm trying to convey, I may actually be calm when I'm saying it, which is why you don't have Colin Kaepernick going around beating folks in the head when he's trying to make the point or he simply kneels but what's interesting is the response to his very peaceful demonstration about mm-hmm. how upset he is makes people very upset at him when they and this is the segue into what you said you wanted to talk about when they want to then for to make themselves comfortable switch the narrative So you didn't switch the narrative so you don't have to have the uncomfortable conversation about what it is he actually is talking about. In a situation like Colin Kaepernick, you're talking about a person who is exercising their right to peacefully protest, something that they think should be their right in this country as a citizen. And what you're saying to him is you should protest the way i want you to protest therefore you're not a citizen in my eyes of this country i'm uncomfortable with with your protest and so we're going to make this about that not about like the loss of life you know what i mean that's going on in this country you say well we're going to switch it to the loss of life of people who died you know defending the flag okay well, I was in the service, so I took an oath to defend the flag, too. And I'm going to tell you that I took an oath to defend what the flag represents, which is his right to protest. That You know what I mean? So since that's yeah. the case, you can switch the narrative to that if you want to. So if you do, then what I'm saying is then I'm, I'm proud of the fact that he has the right to do that. And that right was defended by people who took that oath alongside of me. And went and did what it is they needed to do and and possibly died. Some of them paying the ultimate. I'm proud of what they did to do that so that he could then say innocent citizens in this country should not be killed and shot in the back and whatever by people who are doing their job improperly. Which is all he's saying, which he should be able to say, which is all the protesters are saying, which they should be able to say. And then when they say it, someone should address that situation to take that away from them and make it be about this other thing is a way to nullify their right to say it and what it is that they're saying. And that is is more offensive coming back than if you were to ask the question and somebody was to say, how could you be so stupid? You know, you can say, I apologize for being uh, quote unquote stupid if you want to call it that, but I'm really just trying to gain an understanding yeah. and they will either have sense enough to calm down and really tell you what they're trying to say in order to get their point across, or they were never really trying to get that point across in the beginning. So, you know, but the switching of the narrative thing is really, really interesting to me yeah. in this country. It just, it is right now. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna shut up. I'm talking a lot,
0: but I'm saying. <laughs> no, it's great.
1: It, it's, it's interesting to me that I see, uh, and I think I said this on another show, but see political ads that say, "Hey, if you want." Um, in America that has protests and rioting, looting in the streets and and seeming lawlessness. And they put these images up on the screen. Then you should vote for this candidate because his weakness will allow this. And I say, well, it's interesting because it's happening like right now under the leadership (laughs) of the person who's putting this ad out. So if that's not, you know, some, (laughs) oh, I know you are, but what am I type of child stuff? I don't know what is, because my question then is what are you doing to ensure that these people who you supposedly represent you're representing all of America that's what your job is whether you you mean to do that personally or not your job is to represent all of America what are you doing that's going to bring the other than shifting the blame what are you doing that's going to bring all these people together or potentially bring people together which yeah. is really not difficult you know what I mean like it, it it's it, it's in some ways complicated but it's not difficult to do something to make a stand to take talk about it in a way that can bridge that gap and bring those people together it's yeah. just not you are just not doing it but it's not
0: I mean I there's so much there in what you said. First of all, I I aspire to your level of uh, just being even keeled. When I know how, I aspire to express myself in an in a calmer way than I usually do.
1: Mm.
0: You set a good example for me, and I'm not saying that. You never lose your temper. Or you never raise your voice. But I think part of what I heard you say is, whatever the message is or whatever the question is, um, don't mistake my volume for my emotion. I mean, like I'm mm-hmm. I mean, like in a lot of pain and really bothered by what's going on in the country. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: I'm gonna come out with a statement that is uh, fairly calm sounding um, I, I, the reason I aspire to that and I, I'm sometimes able to do it and sometimes not is I think the message or the question comes across more clearly so I think there's mm-hmm. validity to that um, like are I, I want there's value to that. Superpower that you have and I you know, I think that's awesome the second thing is I'm struck by um, uh, I'm gonna make a critical statement here of like People in general mm-hmm. they They have an appetite for sound bites and we've probably made it worse with um technological development but not not as much of an appetite for nuance right so Mm -hmm. it's either that the protest is just about anarchy and destruction or it's about something else and if you have a little bit more of a nuanced view you can say "No, no no like here's what the protest is about and then there's a bunch of jerks who were smashing windows and burning tires. And like, that's not that complicated to separate those two things, but it takes a little bit longer time than mm-hmm. to just be dismissive of it, right? Mm-hmm. And and this another sad truth is that there are plenty of people who I think do understand the nuance, that the protest is about something Really problematic in this country, and the fringe of violence that occurs you know in and around uh, some of those protests, and we should say like not most um, but a few, but those are the ones that make the news um, they're not really indicative of a problem except that you know people are bored or people mm-hmm. um, you know are reckless or People are drunk, or who knows what it is. But um, the scariest thing is this game of like three card monty that mm-hmm. I think Trump has us playing. I mean, it's a classic like magician like oh look you know hey look, look and people you know, <laughs> are right, doing right. something with my hand over here like <laughs> and and when it's over you're like oh what happened um, mm-hmm. or I'm you know doing the cards doing the cards you know and show me where the ace is show me where the king is and mm-hmm. nope sorry you lose your twenty bucks. Okay, um, and it's, you know, not all magic is about distraction, but this, it, this frightening thing for me is how easily distracted it appears mm-hmm. millions of people are because not once, you know, has the current administration really addressed the problem of, as you said, um, and there's, you know, not just this spring, but going back years and years, Mm -hmm. unarmed black people. I mean, going back to, you know, in my lifetime, the beginning was, you know, Rodney King um, being Mm -hmm. beaten by white police officers, all four of whom were acquitted. And then I start graduate school in Los Angeles a month later, and the city's still on fire. So, um, you know, I had a lot of catching up to do when it came to understanding racial injustice and law enforcement. But, um, you know, and and remember, too, in the Rodney King trial, that was a, I think, because that trial got moved up to Simi Valley, right, in Ventura County. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think, I may be getting my facts wrong here, but that was, I know it was mostly white. It may have been an all-white jury. Um, And then uh, O.J. Simpson's jury was more heterogeneous, uh, or more diverse. Um, and you know, of course he was acquitted and maybe those two things are not linked, but there was a lot of writing at the time about, you know, uh, again, racial injustice and, um, what people were suffering from, but people don't, I mean, they're much more, many people are much more willing to listen to, this um fear-based argument of you know vote for one candidate if you want more looting and fires and anarchy vote for me if you want law and order and how is it that people are missing the supposed cause of this anarchy is not currently an elected official this is your show right now so you're telling us that you have the power to like change things and you're in charge and haven't changed them but i don't know david like how is it that that's not that complicated an argument but i do feel like it's just a little bit of uh, you know kind of distraction let's not Very talk about is. social justice let's talk about law and order and the suburbs burning down and I mean people And, and are let's talk about
1: let's let's call it law and order not realizing or maybe realizing it and not caring that you're saying that law and order is equivalent to killing an armed black right. people if you want to I mean you know now yeah. I I feel if I was the police white or black if I was a police officer white or black I would be very offended by the fact that you call that law and order right and i'm saying that like i mean seriously i know law enforcement individuals in law enforcement and they are all i mean they are women they are white they are black i know uh people races that are not white and black who are who have been in law enforcement for years and we're talking about people who take their job of protecting and serving very serious. Yeah,
0: they are top drawer. and
1: and they are top drawer people. And so when I think of Law and Order, I think of these individuals that I'm proud to know mm-hmm. uh, as as police officers. When I see these other people and some of the things that they're doing, I'm just like, okay, so you got to have some accountability for the things that are that that you're doing. Yeah. That these other people across the country you know or proudly serving have been serving for generations and not doing and i would not want to be linked in with these people because we wear the same uniform like you say you got to be saying well that's not what i'm about over here i don't know you know what to tell you in the same way that i would say okay listen i'm black and if this guy is a career you know, like violent criminal and, and whatever, and, and murdering people. We're not the same because we're black. You know what I mean? We're the yeah. same race, but you know, more the same than you are the same as i don't know ted bundy you know what i mean yeah. i can't say that yeah. then you're ted bundy because you're both right. white that's as ludicrous as you would think that is it's not so i'm saying yeah. that to say the same thing when you talk about police officers i mean the race is different than the job of vocation will keep that in mind yeah. but i'm saying you can't say well back in the blue means <laughs> right. backing people who would kill unarmed people in yeah. the street bad judgment call, or you're just a a wanton racist. Either way, you have to be accountable for that, for either that misstep or that you've been doing this, this way based on race and whatever. I'm saying either way, you got to be accountable for that, especially since there is often in these cases, a loss of life where that person was unarmed and they were, denied a certain process they were denied you're the professional
0: who shows up in that
1: situation and my brother's a a firefighter and he always says we show up to be our best when people are at their worst Mm -hmm. which means when those folks are having the worst day of their life due to a medical emergency or some sort of fire situation they're calling the professionals to come in and handle that who are supposed to then be at their best when they get there. So I'm just saying it's the same, same with, uh, with police officers. You are expecting, you know what I mean? And, and so it's really kind of messed up for somebody to say, well, then, you know, either law and order or anarchy over here in the, in the protest is about you saying, I expect a higher, standard of professionalism from these individuals over here where they're not in a situation where their life or somebody else's life is in imminent danger and they're using force commensurate with that yeah yeah in a situation where that does not apply and then there is no accountability you're supposed to say well it's cool because you know, these are just black people, and so it's okay. It's yeah. not okay. And if it was, if it was, if it was not black people that that was happening to, the response would be different. And the response is not different. And yeah. I, you know, I don't well, know. So, and and, it- and not only that, you're not even allowed to to then protest about it. You're not even right. you're not even supposed to say, "Hey, that's wrong."
0: <laughs> you know, that's right. that's the thing that's. Well, right, mm. and that's so. This, and I, I, know that we just have a couple minutes left, and we'll be out of time. But mm-hmm. the sure. here's my challenge to anyone who's watching or listening. And gosh, if they've gotten this far in a hour plus podcast or webinar, um, you know, God bless them because we
1: no, no, no. <laughs>
0: we really we try to go into a lot of detail. And that's one point is that if you want to get to a better place with just about anything you've got to put in the time. Number two, there is nuance to a lot of life. And if you're gonna let yourself be hoodwinked by an oversimplification or a distraction, um, you're gonna miss the point. And Mm -hmm. we are not gonna move forward as a society Uh, Again, if we're not willing to put in the time and see the nuance, um, or the distinction. But there's such great value, there's such a huge payoff if people do want to put in the time and do uh, care to see the difference. But I completely believe that what you said there a minute ago, if, if this were happening to white people somehow I have a feeling that the government and lots of the public would be putting in the time and would see the distinction Mm -hmm. and wouldn't let anyone get away with saying it's about anarchy or law and order. Be like, actually, wait a second. Is it, Mm -hmm. it's actually not about either of those things, right? Let's, Mm -hmm. you know, this is because of social injustice and the protest is for that. And it's kind of like, you know, Um, the willingness to see some distinctions or not, that to me is evidence of racism. Mm -hmm. If, If you are going to believe or listen to or invest in only the headlines, which are often sensationalized, Um, And not bother having a conversation or reading a longer article or learning more, which is sometimes uncomfortable as we've been talking about. Um, Just that unwillingness is Mm -hmm. kind of racist against anyone who is an underrepresented minority. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it also seems That dismissiveness. Yes. Right. Um, Mm. You know, and it's just again like i've heard well-educated white people say i don't know where the racism is i can't think of the last time i heard any white person call a black person the n-word like well that's good but Mm -hmm. you know completely missing what's going on in this country where like as you keep saying, unarmed black people are not given due process, they're shot. And right. that's not even saying that all of the black people who are shot by white police are you know, you're not saying all those white police are necessarily racist, but Mm-mm. it's it's happened so much that right. we can we can say with great confidence this is a systemic problem. But it's, it does, it takes a willingness to spend some time and see some distinctions. And I, I, I feel like it's, I don't know what a good comparison is, because any comparison I think of feels like it just cheapens the argument. But like, you know what? It's easier for me to eat a piece of candy than it is to make myself a salad. But mm-hmm. in the long run, I'm missing a lot uh, that's right. good for me if. I just do the expedient thing if all I do is eat candy and fast food. and I feel like we're as a, as a as a country, we're being so expedient, so we're our willingness to be tricked is evidence of our racism.
1: It is and it's it, it, it's it's the shifting of that responsibility. it allows us to not be responsible for other humans, you know, yeah. and, and I think you have to first be able to see, and this goes both ways, which is why the show is great. I think I'm black, you're white, now what? Because I think everybody, black people, even look into white people, we have to look at people beyond what is the stereotype and what is the, oh, well, I guess you're, you're of course like that because you're right. white or you're like that because you're black. I think you have to, in order for you to have that reform with police and and what have you, you have to first value the lives of the people who are losing their life in that situation. And for you to say, well, this is about law and order and I stand with police you stand with police on the issue of killing unarmed black people. You know what I mean? I'm saying since you don't finish that sentence, then it's easier to find nobility in that as opposed to finishing the sentence and then saying, okay, is that what I really am saying? And if I'm saying that, what is that saying then about me? I stand with, with police in the killing of unarmed black people. So then in, inherent in that statement is to say that I think the value of black life is. So then this is the same mouth out of which we say all lives matter. Do You see what I'm saying? So right. it, it, it's that sort of, you know, uh, dual mindset, that sort of ability to flip flop that, you know, that we've gotten way too comfortable with. Right. And I, I think, like you said, as we uh, wind down minutes wise, I think it's important to think about everybody as a person whose status assignment should be high and equal to yours and when you start thinking about status assignments in that way for all people black white brown uh, yellow you know uh, whatever their the skin color is you start thinking starting with the human part of it and thinking about it with regard to that you will start to see the the protest you know with a lot more a lot more value you'll start seeing uh, more of a reason why we should be doing the work you're talking about doing leaning seriously into those uncomfortable conversations that we're talking about in and, and and maybe making some real change you know um, Amen Brother, I look forward to I look forward to you know the conversations that we have coming up. Me too. Uh, we've had some great shows uh, getting to this uh, ten. I think it's going to yeah, be this yeah. one is, um, and and what we got coming up. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, we got some great guests on the horizon and uh, and some some deeper conversations. We're going to bring some people back. Uh, to dig deeper into some of the things we were talking about with them. And so I'm excited about that, too. And, uh, you know, hopefully people are are taking some of this and and actually going out and trying to make, if nothing else, just a change in their life. I'm not saying that, you know, you'll be able to go and change the world or the country, but maybe be able to change that relationship, say, between the two of us. And that by itself can grow into, uh, you know, making things better all the way around.
0: Yeah, Reno. write to us, subscribe, um, tell us your thoughts, suggest guests, um, and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode.
1: Yeah, and with regard to that, suggesting guests, uh, definitely write to us because we would definitely like to hear... uh, and I think I speak for Chris and you let me know if I don't speak for you after I say this, but we definitely want to hear about all sides of all issues. Yes. So, you know, if, if you know of somebody who, you know, even when we're talking about, uh, you know, this uh, police issue, somebody who wants to be able to talk about the other side of that, we welcome that conversation. We do. We'd love to have you as a guest. Uh, we promise it won't be, you know, like a situation where we're, put you in the corner and beat you up. We just wanna ask questions and actually have uh, that conversation because that's what this show is about. Thank you for listening to I'm Black, You're White, Now What?
0: You can find more episodes on the podcast channel, Teaching What It Takes, available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.
1: To learn more about the work I do, visit www.preparingthepath.com.
0: And to learn more about the work I do, Visit doctor